We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me. Mr. Brendan Nunez and his beautiful little dog. Uh, Brendan, of course, from the King's Herald and the uh, King's Pulse podcast. Uh, Brendan, what's going on, man? Not too much, James. We just wrapped up our final home game of the 21-22 NBA season and uh, started with the Pelicans for me this year and ended with the Pelicans. It's been a fun journey. My dog decided to go crazy right as we started. That's Um, awesome. At least it, it, it's quiet, just yeah. like sprinting around like a crazy person behind Anyone you. watching on YouTube can see what we're talking about. That's right. Um, okay, so uh, we got a bunch of stuff to get to. Number one, this is on Wednesday, so we will have Wednesday overreactions. Um, of course, it's on Wednesday because um, I spent the weekend in New Orleans catching the Final Four, uh, which was epic. Some of the best... Uh, college basketball that we've ever seen, uh, spectacular games, uh, great city. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit. Um, but, uh, my day yesterday on Tuesday was absolutely nuts. So I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning, New Orleans time, which is one o'clock in the morning here, uh, and take a Uber to the airport at a five o'clock flight, flew to Houston, and then home, I got home at 11 o'clock here, so basically like 10 hours of travel to get back home, uh, then raced back to my house, dropped my wife off, took like a 45-minute nap, drove back to the arena where we had our final game of the season. Um, so yeah, you didn't get a podcast yesterday because uh, I was absolutely trashed. Because James is a slacker. A slacker, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how I made it through the game last night. Um, and still came out and got drinks with me, Chris and Frankie. I did. Well, it's the final game of the, the final home game of the season, so yeah, you got to go out and get drinks. Okay, outside of that, um, if you're watching on YouTube, go down below, give us a thumbs up, 
uh, make sure to subscribe. We're flying up the ranks in, in our subscribe uh, subscriptions. That's good stuff. Uh, also, jump on board with the King's Beat. Uh, kingsbeat.com. Jump on board. Uh, premium subscriptions are basically the price of one gallon of gas. So, yeah, I, you know, it's like one gallon of gas. Just think of it that way it, for a for one-month subscription to the King's Beat, and it gets you the happy hour. We're going to do a happy hour um, probably, like I put up two dates uh, that we're considering, um, but right after the season ends, we'll look into uh, who we can land for a guest for the happy hour, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of go from there. Um, and uh, Brendan, you know, uh, let's start with the tournament. Because um, I, I spent, we're going to cover a bunch of stuff, including the Kings final game, uh, Davion Mitchell's breakout, uh, and all that stuff. But uh, the tournament was, number one, like, incredible to be there in person. To uh, It was a little sketchy because there's 70,000 people without wearing a mask. Uh, that not, No one is wearing a mask at all. Um, 70,000 people in a building. And um, for two different games, uh, well, two different nights of basketball. Um, but to be part of that, uh, it's crazy because, you know, we've seen sort of split crowds in Sacramento here in the last year with Lakers fans taking over or Warriors fans rolling in. But to see a, an arena with that many people that's so split and there weren't fights, there weren't anything crazy, but it was just a really, really cool atmosphere to be in. Um, I highly recommend going to the Final Four for anyone. I guess there's a lottery, which is how we got our tickets. Um, I was in nosebleed seats, but it didn't really matter. I wasn't going as media, so I didn't really care. But, uh, Brendan, there's a lot of prospects there, a lot of guys. And I don't know, was, did you have any initial, like, did one player just jump off the board and just go, oh, I just improved myself so greatly in the NBA draft with my play? Um... I mean, like Paulo, but I think Paulo was already doing that earlier in the tournament. I think that he was solid in that game against UNC, but I don't think it was popping off the page compared to what we saw, like Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen for him. Yeah. Um, I really liked Caleb Love. Like, I really, really like watching Caleb Love. There's moments where he reminds me of like Darius Garland, but I know that there's no way that he's that type of guy in the NBA. Like, he very much screams a guy that is amazing in college and maybe a question mark in the NBA. I understand why he's kind of a second round, late second round prospect likely. Um, if anything, I mean, most of the time I was kind of enjoying watching the games. Um, I, I think if any stock has changed though, when it came to draft prospects, it's probably AJ Griffin and just more and more moments of what was that? uncertainty um, yeah which he was always raw and gonna take time like I knew that was part of it but it's less of like specifically what happened in the tournament but just watching more and more of him there's too many moments that are you you see that there's still a lot of work to be done a lot yeah yeah so I, I had a cool even though we we did we were way up high I still had a really cool vantage point to watch a lot of what was happening because when you're in a position where we were at, like where we were sitting, I was looking down over the court. I was able to like almost do like the ring around the player, like uh, like 2K, and then just watch him um, and, and follow his motion and his movement. Um, and a couple of things stood out to me. Uh, number one, like Abaji, 
he was so good in the first game. And even though he started six of six from three and was playing spectacular defense, I thought, I thought defensively he walks right into the league and is a, an above average defender at the, at the NBA level. He is a solid, solid three and D player, but I was disappointed because he never once dribbled the ball inside the three-point line. He he never once passed the ball inside the three-point line. All he did was stay on the perimeter. All he did, as soon as the screen came, he would dump the ball. So he kept looking more and more and more like a fourth, fifth option. And I think when you're looking at players and you start to see like a, a standard 3-and-D player, when you're looking at a 3-and-D player, um, I, first of all, teams make huge mistakes where they try to take high-end prospects and then make them into 3-and-D players. You're, you're better off going out and getting, if you just want a 3-and-D player, then go get him because he's going to be a really solid 3-and-D guy, right? Um, and he knows his role, and and he's good at his role, and he's a senior even though he's only 21, and he's going to come into the league, and I think he could play close to starter minutes in in year one, year two, for sure. Um, but I'm watching and I'm like, okay, there's the limitation. That's why your pick 12 through 20, probably. Right. And then I watch AJ Griffin and I was totally disappointed with what he did on the court because he didn't show enough. He wasn't able to do enough. He didn't hit any of his shots, which was a disaster. Uh, defensively, he was young and, you know, sort of, he made quite a few like young player mistakes. But I still saw more from him than I did from Abaji. And that's because, you know, he's dribble drive. He, he, he has a, a different skill set. His ceiling is higher. His floor is lower for sure than Abaji. But his ceiling is so much higher that I see why one of them is a number five, six, seven, and one of them is a number 12 through 20. Does that Absolutely. make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, like A.J. Griffin has the shooting that you also see from Baji, but like you're saying, A.J. Griffin puts the ball on the floor. There's moments where, um, okay, if you would have finished that, that would have been really nice. Or uh, driving and kicking, like I think there's flashes of passing from A.J. Griffin that you don't quite see from Abaji. Um, there's even just more length than, maybe not strength, like Abaji's certainly not a not strong player or anything like that but aj griffin has a little bit more size on him as well mm-hmm. um yeah and there's a difference of three years between them yeah experience is a crazy thing you know like you cannot replace experience and i, I think that that's one of the things that stood out so much that um even though one of them doesn't have experience you can see the potential and then the other one, like uh, to be fair to Abaji, he was much better in the championship game. He actually had a couple of drives, especially a couple of drives late. And I started to wonder his build self just like completely like put him in in a box and left him in a box and not allowed him to do other things. And it, he clearly wouldn't be the first player that that's ever happened to. And um, I, I think the problem that you have is that when you see a player who, uh, like, we didn't even really see him dunk. Maybe on a fast break or two, he got out in the open court. Um, but, like, I started having Ben McLemore nightmares where, like, coming out of college, he could really, really shoot it, and he could really dunk. But we learned very quickly that he couldn't do anything in between those two things. 
you know, there was no handles at all. There was no passing ability at all. And I thought Abaji made a couple of nice passes late in the game um, to create for others that, that, again, opened my eyes a little bit like, okay, maybe maybe it is just a skill set that, that he's being limited. Um, and so that, that made me a little bit more intrigued. I still, like, if there's some way that the Kings got a second first-round pick and you swung for the fences and somehow landed a, a big-time, uh, like, you know, a big time stretch four with your first pick. I would come back with just a guy say like Keegan that. Murray, James. It's okay. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that, and that's again like I would put uh, Keegan Murray in the same category as Abaji. That that's where I kind of come away. Where I know who you are. Like I get it. I think actually, like at the NBA level, I think Abaji is going to be a better defender. And he's more active. He's more engaged. He he can actually stay in front of like one through three. So so again, like I was impressed, but I I didn't I wasn't blown away. And I saw the limitations where Griffin I didn't see. I saw like how raw he was, but also some of the potential. It was just frustrating potential. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I think Mark Williams continues to impress me. I, he just looks like an NBA big man. You know, there's, um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but the Kansas big man, you can tell is just kind of athleticism. Yes. Athleticism, very foul prone, almost like D Jones esque in a way. You know who he, his body motion and stuff looked like. It reminded me of Andrew Bynum. Okay. I see. You know, sort of blocky through the chest. Uh, like all of his motions are high. Um, skilled, very, very skilled, but probably not an NBA player. Right. And then Mark Williams um, just does all the little things. He's a good screen setter. He's a good rebounder and puts it back really well. I, I thought that he had good hands. Um, he He's a guy that is definitely interesting to me when you're sitting around kind of like the 20 spot. Yeah, I think he'll probably go anywhere between like 14 and 20 as well. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of a guy like Clint Capella. Like he's he's your natural rim runner. I think he does have some major potential as a defender. Um, I, one of the downfalls is he got in foul trouble in, in every game, uh, in, in both of the games that I was there for, um, and, and that's going to be a problem. You can see that's going to be a problem at the next level. He's got to learn how to stay out of foul trouble, um, and and then you know, probably the best player out of everyone. And I, I still don't know why he, like, I don't think he'll be in the draft this year. And I, and I don't think he'll actually get drafted is, is Baycott. My goodness, man. What an incredible rebounder. Like you just don't see it. Like what do you have? 22 in the, in the final four game. And then the, the championship game, he had another huge night before he had like the tragic ankle injury. Um, but he's so big and strong and smart and, and just like, he's a, a bull in a China shop, you know, he's just running through everything, um, and grabbing every single rebound possible. Yeah. He, uh, and, and to watch him power through the ankle injury until the final, what was it like 48 seconds or so that he went down? Um, and he looked destroyed. I can only imagine that must've been such a tough experience to go down and have to watch the very end of that game but 
yeah, I mean, to see the mental mental toughness to power through that on top of all the skill sets that were on display throughout this entire tournament and this entire season for him, like, there's definitely, and it's not in a way where you don't see it translating. Um, it's it's not just being bigger and stronger than everybody else. It's doing a lot of the little things right, setting good screens. Um, doing your work while the ball goes up so you're in good position to rebound and he's a very physical player and I mean I think seeing in that final championship game when his physicality wasn't fully there or not his physicality his um, athleticism wasn't fully there but he was still able to be effective without it I think that's a sign of there's something here because like a player like say I mean I guess we can use like Marvin Bagley is very reliant on his athleticism if he doesn't have his athleticism is he still going to be able to do much of anything out there I'm not sure Um, so to see a guy where he does properly use it when it's there but also be effective when it's unavailable I I think says a lot about the intangibles and just how smart he is as a player yeah I I totally agree I, I enjoyed watching him play to me if they would have won he was clearly the MVP of of the final four um, and, and I would have even said that he there's a shot he should have won in the MVP even though they lost. Um, and then there's the the end of the when he does roll his ankle, and to me that looked like a full dislocation. I don't know if you watched the, but the floor moved, and so I think there's going to be some major questions about that floor very specifically. It looked like the floor gave way when he took his, his big step and that's when he lost his, uh, when his ankle rolled. Um, yeah, that's, that's just not good. Um, in in the final four or the championship game In the championship game. Okay. I didn't realize the floor. No. Yeah. And then uh, like the one thing that also stood out, I mean, that was a catastrophic ankle injury, not uh, like there wasn't like bone sticking out. So it wasn't Paul George. Right. But that was a catastrophic ankle injury. And that dude got up, hopped to the other end of the floor on one leg and got in position to play defense. And then they were able to get a timeout. Absolutely gritty, gutted it out play. Um, Yeah. He was so impressive. Like he's a guy that like you kind of want on your team, you know, like even though he's probably not going to be like stellar at the next level, like rebounds per minute, he's still going to get you a ton of rebounds per minute. He's a guy that, somehow we'll figure out a way just because he's he's really good around the around the basket and so yeah I was super impressed with him um let's let's focus in on Ben Carroll for a minute um did he did he improve his stock or is he who you thought he was I mean I think like I said the final four game that he played against UNC I don't think he improved from that point like I think he improved his stock to me in the previous games and then you saw more of the same in that Final Four game. Um, I, I think I've been really impressed with him being the initiator, um, him getting aboard and bringing it down himself. I think has been surprising to me just how often that he was kind of initiating their offense. And the self-creation is maybe a little bit more consistent than I realized, how often he's able to create space. I still have questions about how much space he's exactly creating against what isn't great defenses you know like when when he goes against NBA defenses is that amount of space still there Um, but I mean you definitely see it you know there's physicality and 
he has all the skills of putting the ball on the floor and going through guys, finishing at the rim. He's shooting the ball decently um, from all three levels, really. I, I, I definitely see it. I'm still skeptical, but throughout the entire tournament, I, I do think that he raised his stock, but it, there's only so much room. Like, what, he raised from, like, four to three? I'm still not putting him above Chet or Jabari myself. Yeah, I think, I think the bigger question would be, if somehow you landed the third pick in the draft, you're the Sacramento Kings. You're going to finish with the seventh uh, worst record in the NBA. You're going to finish with the seventh highest law, uh, lottery odds, um, which we can go through that in a few minutes. But um, if you landed number three, did he do enough to say I would take Paolo Bancaro and not trade the pick? No, no. Okay. Not myself, no, because I think the fit with Domas, with DeMontis Sabonis, is still very much a question to me. I, I don't know that, like, you already have a tough team-building exercise in front of you with building around De'Aaron and DeMontis Sabonis. I think that those guys do work really well together, but you specifically need 3 and D players around them, and I think that making Paulo your third just adds even more complications like it, if they believe i will absolutely talk myself into it but i would be out shopping the pick okay that's interesting um I, I'll, I'll tell you why i would i would really consider it um number one what you talked about the way that he he can um he can lead the break um and, and it's something that i thought was really interesting down the stretch of the season where Alvin Gentry let anyone lead the break. I, I thought that that was really strange. Like, I'm watching Shemezi Metu dribble the ball up the court. I'm watching Damian Jones. I'm watching anyone. Trey Lance. Uh, Trey, Trey Lyles. Sorry. That that one's going to kill us if forever. If they had Trey Lance, this would be over with, James. All yeah, our problems right. would be solved. Yeah, and hey, shout out to the girl who does... Uh, the the lady who does a drawing every day of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo waiting to be traded it it's one of my highlights of the day like there's the no one, way she thought she was gonna have to do this many drawings there's not there's no <laughs> way she thought that was gonna happen and the uh, the one where she has uh, Jimmy Garoppolo like putting the gold jacket on Trey Lance is spectacular I mean like yeah, his Hall of Fame jacket um anyway like it, Alvin Gentry lets anyone lead the break right. And not that I, I think Alvin Gentry will be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings next season. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, we just keep pushing things off. Um, but uh, I definitely, when I look at uh, Paolo, the one thing that stood out was all of these big men just kept getting in foul trouble for for uh, Duke. So, uh, you know, Mark Williams had like two quick ones in the finals game. They brought in their backup, which I can't even remember his name, and he ended up with four fouls in the first in the first half, and they couldn't do anything to keep Baycott off the uh, off. That's where it was, right? Um, yeah. So they, I, I thought that when they put Paolo on on the big man, I was so impressed with his defense, and it wasn't like his his team defense. He didn't stand out like huge. He's not a big shot blocker. But I thought position wise, he's the one guy. It, it wasn't until the the midway through the second half that he picked up his first foul. And you're like, wait, the other guys couldn't stay on the court at all. How is it that you just picked up your first foul and you're defending the same guy they are? You're doing a really good job on him. 
And he flew in for a couple of big rebounds, which I thought was nice. Like, he showed me he could rebound outside of his zone. Um, you know, he showed some ball handling skills. The uh, top of the key three-point shot that he has, spectacular. I would love to see more of him in the corner. But again, this is where we run into the college game and how coaches limit players uh, completely at the college level. They they take away, you know, huge chunks of their game. We're hearing, like, Chet Holmgren is showing, like, a third of what he can do as a basketball player. Uh, at, but that's just kind of the way it goes. When you go to a college program, that's what you have to uh, you have to put up with. you you got to play within the system, and, and you're surrounded by really good athletes that, that also have their role. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like, I would— I would definitely consider at number three, uh, Bancaro. I, I would. It would be tough. It would be tough to trade the pick because I know he's going to be. I would say, at a minimum, he's probably you know three years down the road gonna be as good as John Collins, and I think that's a minimum. And so that's where I come to the question of like, you know, waiting a couple of years isn't gonna be easy. But I still think he's going to be solid while you're waiting for him to improve and, and to get to who he's going to be. But at the end of the day, between saving that kind of money and not having to give up other assets, now you're looking at like, okay, maybe maybe you can do this. Maybe Sabonis and Fox can you know hold this thing together and you add other pieces while you wait for a guy like that to develop. And again, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I was more impressed with him uh, because of the little things that I saw him do, then uh, you know, then I was disappointed. I thought he was the reason why they're in the game. Absolutely, I should have mentioned him on defense because I was definitely impressed there. Um, he definitely holds his own. I see him as a plus defender, and some of the weak side rim protection I think kind of surprised me in a good way. And what it comes down to for me, like the difference between like him and Chet, because both are technically I think like questionable fits offensively when it comes to their shooting they both have shown the ability but it's not great when we're saying we need good three-point shooters around De'Aaron and Domas yeah um the difference for me is that like Chet to me has like defensive player of the year type like you're getting Chet for defense and you're getting Paulo for offense and I think that they both have pluses on the other end of the floor and to me like Chet is a really good fit defensively and then Paulo is like a questionable fit offensively. So it's kind of the difference for uh, between them for me. Um, and I, I know that you weren't comparing the two or anything like that, but kind of where I'm at there. And then when it comes to like being patient for a guy like Paulo, or say you want to say AJ Griffin or Benedict Matherin, whatever one of these guys, I was kind of talking about this with Chris and Frankie yesterday. It's like, there just needs to be eventual progress. They're not going to come in and change everything year one, but those guys are, Maybe I'm wrong here. Probably going to be better than Chemezi Metu or Trey Lyles or Mo Harkless in year one. And oh, yeah, those were the guys that you were starting this year. Like, they're not going to come in and change the entire franchise year one, but you're still going to have progress in year one. Where if you're making the nine seed, say, next year because of them, that's a good thing because then they have the next year to make even more progress in their game. And the team as a whole can continue to take a next step up from there. And then all of a sudden you're the sixth spot. And it, so even if they're not going to come change everything day one, I think that still coming in and just being an improvement based on what Sacramento was always already working with is not all that much to ask. And that's where I'm like, I think we kind of can be patient. I don't love Paulo, but I, I think like a 
more raw prospect can still definitely make the team better next year, even if they're not just instantly changing everything. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that all three of those guys make you a better team. Like, do they make you leaps and bounds in year one? No, but they make you a better team. Even in, in year one, you're a better team. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, a guy like Trey Lyle still on your team. I mean, he's so cheap, like $2.6 million. You're going to pick up that option no matter what, I, I think. Um, yeah, and then the last thing I'll finish out with when it comes to the, the final four, um, you know, watching Coach K's last game is emotional, sad, um, and not because I'm a huge Duke fan, uh, but because I have had the opportunity to cover Team USA, uh, you know, during, you know, Cousins eras and uh, Cousin era and stuff like that, like, and De'Aaron Fox have covered at Team USA. So I've I've sat in scrums and interviews with uh, with Coach K, and he's just a cool dude. You know, he's, he's a guy that's done something amazing there at Duke, and, um, you know, you can trace so many great moments in NCAA history to him. You know, Bobby Hurley going to, what, three or four straight uh, NCAA finals, Christian Leitner, Grand Hill. You know, they, he's put so many guys in the league, and while the Marvin Bagley situation hasn't worked out, uh, like, I don't really even hold that against him. Um, so I th- thought that was one thing. And I also thought that watching, you know, it, it was clear that Duke was the best team by so far. Like, they had so much more talent than anyone else. They have potentially five first-round picks, but more like four first-round picks and one early second-round pick. The problem that you have is it's really hard to find role players when you have that much talent. It's so hard to get guys to accept less. And then I even thought that, to be honest with you, the reason they lost was because the one guy who wasn't like a, a first round pick is Roach. He was just horrible and just thought that it was his day to shine. And you're just watching him like, what is that guy doing? Like, what is you doing, dude? And like the whole time I was just like flabbergasted why he was still in the game. Like at some point I would have been like, hey, dude, you, you just don't get to play anymore. Like you're you're just – pressing everything you're running into crowds you're throwing up bad like attempts and turning the ball over i just i i didn't get it and i didn't get him as a player doing that in that situation because there's so much talent so yeah. it was remy martin but the shots didn't go down because yeah. i thought remy martin was out there being a little crazy too but it was working well yeah and i mean in the uh in the finals it's leaky black who is just horrible like, what, again, what are you doing? Like, the guys that didn't rise to the moment, but, like, if you don't have anyone else on your team and you got to rise to the moment, that's one thing. That's not the case for these teams. They had tons of talent. Like, it, it's not your night, man. Like, move move the ball. Find someone else. It's not yeah. your night. Also, that Caleb Love shot against Duke was ballsy. Yeah. He he took some some I mean a lot of questionable plays. Like he does look like a guy who just you know he's not going to get a shot at the pro level at all. Yeah, hmm. he'll be on Stockton. Yeah, there we go. There we <laughs> go. Um, all right. So yeah, I, I mean the experience. Uh, I, I'm definitely like I'm still wearing my fedora. Uh, I got my beads on. Um, I just tell everyone out there. 
I highly recommend it. It was such a fun experience. Uh, just my wife and I went with some friends with another couple and, um, we got like an Airbnb house and, uh, you know, went out to a bunch of nice dinners and, um, I don't know, we, we went to brunch at, uh, like the oldest restaurant, like in the United States or second oldest, something like that. Um, like we, we, uh, the, oh, commander, commander. Oh, I don't know. It's on my Instagram. I, I posted a picture. Um, uh, yeah, New Orleans food is incredible. I, I will warn people that, uh, you know, like I've, I've been honest about my health issues. My, my leg is getting better, but I'm on blood thinners for 90 days and I'm like two weeks into that. Um, <clears throat> that is a wrong city to go when you're on blood thinners because number one, uh, there's nothing but alcohol everywhere and, and that's a bad thing. Um, but number two, like every single foot of like sidewalk is is a trip hazard like it's it's the most poorly i i don't think there's anything they can do about the because of the flooding but my goodness i saw a couple of people face plant like bad like if you're not paying attention to your where you're walking you're going to fall in new orleans at least once so i'm like sitting here like bubble wrapping myself because you know i don't want to i don't want to fall and break you know bust open on the inside and and have a bleeder and you know get rushed to a hospital in in new orleans that would not be fun no it would not especially with what you're there for in that combination of a lot of alcohol and a not great street to walk on is asking oh, yeah. for some trouble for people oh yeah yeah i mean i think they're they probably just have like someone who walks around selling band-aids because people have fallen skinned their knee up you know mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, people drop their hurricane while they're mid-fall and spill their hurricane all over the street. Yeah, so my suggestion, uh, next time it's in New Orleans, uh, totally hit it. But if it's in another city um, like that, like, it is such a fun experience. It's watching all of the crowd, uh, you know, the, the split crowds and the the uh, the student sections come in before the games and go out of the games. I just thought the experience overall is is top notch, and um, and I'll also compare it to like I've been to you know I've been to a bunch of baseball playoff games. Uh, I've been to a, a ton of Sacramento Kings playoff games in the olden days when they actually made the playoffs, um, and then I've uh, you know I've covered the Warriors all the way through the NBA Finals multiple seasons. Um, the the difference is. Like why I would say, unless you're like the biggest, you know, team, like if you're the biggest Warriors fan ever and you want to go see a finals game, that's one thing. But the difference is the split crowd makes it so much more fun. Like the environment is so much better than an NBA finals because an NBA finals is nothing but one crowd yelling and screaming. Like it's a sea of yellow. Or, you know, going to Toronto, it was a nothing but Toronto Raptors fans. You could probably, there was probably a hundred Warriors fans in the building. And so you're seeing one crowd just like so into it. And then when something bad happens, it's like it gets all quiet. Well, that just doesn't happen at the NCAA level. It's just so back and forth and wild and crazy. And you're watching one fan group yelling and screaming in the next. And it, it, that's where... Brennan, I think you would have a great time. Anyone who who out there would just have a tremendous time at, at the Final Four. 
kind of sounds like Sacramento Kings games when other teams with large fan bases come into town. Eesh. Did have a slight experience with that with Chicago, where it was like having both fan bases in the building made for a pretty exciting atmosphere. Um, and one of the players mentioned that after that game as well, but I can only imagine when it's the magnitude of uh, championship Final Four. Yeah. It's funny, and when you're in Sacramento, there are I think there are five teams that actually have a ton of fans around. So of course the Lakers and the Warriors, but then you've got the Bulls because of the Jordan era. You've got the Seventy Sixers because people in Philadelphia or who are from Philadelphia, I think are certifiable all of them. Um, and then the other one is Boston, where like it's a sea of green, and having Boston in Sacramento the day after St. Patty's Day. I mean that if you're selling tickets, that's that's a dream situation if you're the Kings. And and then they had in that week, I think they also had the Bulls, right? The Bulls traveled heavy that week and then they did. Yeah. 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 Definitely was interesting. Phoenix had a lot of fans, but also obviously Phoenix is just really good right now. It's probably not a historic thing that Phoenix has had a big fan base in Sacramento or anything like that. Um but yeah. Definitely definitely interesting. And you know, we won't be back at Golden One Center for Summer League, sadly. Yeah, um, the California Classic, we're hearing. It's it, it's kind of been a, a murmur behind the scenes for a little while, um, but it looks like it's at Chase Center this year, um, which, uh, to me, that's a huge disappointment. So I, I don't know. Like, if I'm the Kings, I, I wouldn't have given that up, especially um, next summer. It, well, the the Kings have part of the finals. Uh, I mean, the 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 road to the final four next year. They have the first first two rounds of the tournament. And I think you could have broken up your, like if you did the tournament and then the California classic every other year, I think that that would have given like a different feel and vibe. Um, but yeah, kind of a, a, a bummer there. We'll have to carpool down to, uh, to go see the uh, California. Jabari. Classic. We'll have to go watch Jabari. Yeah, against James Weissman, third-year yeah. James Weissman. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Kaminga and Moody and, like, all the Kings fans, like, oh, we could have had Moody. Yeah. Myself um, included. Yourself included. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, let's get to uh, Wednesday overreactions because it is Wednesday and not Tuesday. Uh, we're doing the podcast, of course, on Wednesday because uh, of the travel schedule. Um there and just so we, you, uh, I'm clear on this. We're gonna push Thursday's podcast to Friday because there's no reason to go back to back days. Uh, we'll wait till we have a little bit more of a break here. So we'll do uh, Wednesday and Friday for the podcast this week, um, and then right back to normal Tuesday and Thursday next week. Um, but our Wednesday overreactions: uh, Davion Mitchell, 17 assists. He's better than Tyrese Halliburton. What are your thoughts? That this is the Wednesday overreaction segment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that Davion played 40 minutes as the only point guard on the team. Um, I don't want to downplay it. Yeah. He, 17 assists is 17 assists. That's extremely impressive. And it could have been 20. Easily. Easily could have been 20. Yeah. Absolutely could have. Um, so I guess I shouldn't start by downplaying it. Like Davion has shown a lot of growth as a passer, growth as a finisher. I think his two-man game with Damian Jones specifically has really evolved, and, and we've kind of seen the growth there. 
So I, I do think that we have seen a lot of progress when it comes to his vision and playmaking. I don't think that you're seeing like advanced reads, um, but I, I think he's getting better at the passes that he was kind of already attempting earlier in the year. And that is very much a good thing. Like I asked him post game of what you're doing right now, obviously isn't the same when Fox and Domas come back, but how does this translate? And he's like, well, when those guys draw attention, they can swing it to me and know that I'm going to make the right play pretty much. And I, I think that you are seeing glimpses of that. Okay. So over his last eight games, um, Davion Mitchell is averaging 40.9 minutes. He's shooting 44.6% from the field. His, his shooting has come down over the last like three games. Um, he's shooting 32.4% from three. He's averaging 19.4 points and 9.8 assists per game. His turnovers are also high at 3.9, which is a little uncharacteristic. Uh, but I also think it speaks to him figuring out how to be that guy. Um, he does make some mistakes. He did dribble ball or two off his feet. He does get frustrated with himself. But like I I don't wanna I don't wanna take anything away from him because this is kind of one of those things that we talked about early in the season. I never thought he would get this opportunity to run the show. And so I thought it would take two or three years to see him develop as a passer. And I said in the beginning of the season that I did not think that he could, that he at this stage in his career was a primary ball handler. He's not a, another uh, passing option for the Kings, like a creator for others for the Kings. And so I thought early in the season and, like my opinion is still the same. He wasn't ready for that early in the season. Um, and I never thought he would get the opportunity because you had De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. But now we're seeing him like running the show. And I still struggle to see how that's going to translate when he's not the primary guy. But he's still shown me that if De'Aaron Fox goes down for a week, that you're not just totally up a creek without a paddle. And I think that that's good because De'Aaron Fox does go down for a week um, almost every season. I think one season he played 81 games, and the one game he missed was because the medical staff said you play too many minutes. Um, outside of that, like, he usually misses 10, 10 games a year, and, and you got to figure that out. So I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what he's doing. I, I like his stop and pop. The arc on his jumper it still surprises me that that's where they went with his jumper and that it's worked so well. Um, but I think what it's done is it's taken some of the legs out of his jumper because uh, I think he ran his legs into the ground a couple of times a season. Yeah, especially recently. Like, he's guarding the best player on the other team and he's asked to get 20 and 10 a night right now in these recent games. So uh, definitely asked to do a lot. And I think what I've been most impressed with him recently is that he's doing just that. Like the defense that we know Davion Mitchell for hasn't gone away or lessened because he's had this offensive burden. You know, I, I think that we're still seeing him make an impact on the other end of the floor. He came out after one of the games um, and said, I'm ready to play another 40 minutes right now, which I don't know if I believed him, but I love the mentality. Um and Davion, I think, absolutely believes himself when he says that. Um, yeah, I think that I hadn't considered the whole, you know, De'Aaron goes down for a handful of games every year, and now I can trust Davion to be that guy alongside Domas because I do feel that way. Um, 
so yeah, this is all good progress for Davion for sure. Um, I also am kind of ready for this year to be over. I'm not going to lie. You're ready for this year to be over? Like Come these, on. I don't know what I'm supposed to take all too much from these final games, especially when Namiash is not getting all that much run. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, like, Kata played, what, 10 minutes uh, on, what, Tuesday night against uh, the Pelicans. <sighs> Come on, Alvin. Like, yeah. seriously. And, and I want to give, like, mad props to Damian Jones for being, he, by far, like, everyone wants to talk, talk about how good Davion's been. Damian Jones has been the star of the last 10 games. He's been the guy, the one guy who you're like, man, I I just didn't know. Like, you have taken, he has fully, fully taken advantage of his opportunity on the offensive end, on the defensive end. Uh, he He's even, like, he set a career high with 17 rebounds. He could be a better rebounder. Um, but, man, he's made himself... Like he's earned a two or three year contract in the offseason, whether it's with the Kings or someone else. But, um, but to not play Kata, like it just seems to me to be the strangest thing because the season's over. Like it was over when you're getting clubbed by the Warriors, and he didn't play against the Warriors, right? He did not because Alex Len was available. And Alex Len played like four minutes. Is that right? No, Alex Len was. Alex Mann might have not been available, but Golden State doesn't have a backup center. They play really small, so Sacramento was matching that. Yeah, because that works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, really. Uh, what we've seen is all of a sudden we're going back to three-guard sets that don't work and you get clubbed. Yeah, like, yeah Len didn't play and neither did Kata against Golden State. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what Alvin Gentry's the why, and, um, and to me it, it's – it's kind of frustrating because even last night's game, he should have played 20 minutes. Like, what do you got to lose? And why do you put him in and then pull him back out and use Trey Lyles and Shemezi Metu on the floor instead of him? Like, what are you, what exactly does that help you in any evaluation at all? You're never going to play Shemezi Metu and Trey Lyles together in a game ever again. Like, I don't think both of them will be back on the roster. But there's no reason to do that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So why not at least give him a shot? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what they do here uh, with him. But, I, like, I, I I think they've done him a little bit of a disservice here just because this season's been over for, like, a week and a half, and the Kings refused to acknowledge it, and they were waiting until they were fully eliminated, and then they just absolutely got clubbed by by the Warriors. And it was like, okay, well, this thing's over now. Um, but even still before that, you knew that you're coming into that game, that your chances were so slim. Like, why not play him? Why not give him some experience so he can have a moment or two like a Damian Jones, like a Davion Mitchell, and let him kind of find his sea legs and, and see what he's doing. And, and I'll say this too, his body looks 100 times better. I'm super excited to see what he does this summer uh, to recreate his body once again, but he is no longer dragging his body around and he's had some mean picks. He's very good screener for sure. I thought there were a couple times he was defending pick and roll. And again, there's only 11 minutes played last night where he turned his hips too quick. Like 
just but those are things that when you're getting used to NBA speed that he's going to be able to go back and watch film and understand where progress needs to be made and he gets an opportunity to kind of do that for these final three games would be the idea but he just didn't get that much run against New Orleans um, which is pretty questionable to me and in those you know, we talked about like D Jones needing to improve as a rebounder, or still could be a better rebounder because he has been phenomenal recently. Um, Damian Jones had four rebounds in his 29 minutes. Kata had four in his 11 minutes. Um, Kata is definitely a plus there. There's passing potential. I, I think it's still definitely just potential right yep. now. Um, but the screen setting is there. The physicality, like he is a big guy when he's out there too. And sometimes Sacramento just needs some size. So I am with you where it's like I was most engaged yesterday when Namish was in the game. He hit a mid-range jumper at one point, which was kind of cool. He was totally out of control before he shot it, but then he pulled up and it went in. Um, Yeah, we need more Namish. That's what I'm watching the end of the season for. I'm not going to lie, James. Yeah, I mean, he has moments where he's totally out of control, but that's because he's struggling with the speed of the game. Like we we talked about this, like there, it's like you know the college game is like a, a Volkswagen bus, and, and then the G League is like a Honda Accord, and then the the NBA speed is like a Ferrari, like or a Tesla, like it's zero to sixty like so fast. And you're like, what in the world is happening? Like learning the speed of the game, it takes time, and that's why you would hope that he would get those opportunities to try to calm down. And try to figure it out. And um, I still think that he does a lot of things that are really intriguing. Like his like his screen assists are are crazy. And um, he has so much potential there that I- I'm intrigued to see what happens going forward. And and I'm still trying to figure out what his contract status is for next year. I don't know that he's on a two way for next year, but he's still property of the Kings. Basically, they still have his rights. Um, so we're going to have to figure that one out and see how they handle him next year going into next year uh, and how they view him as like a back the backup or the backup to the backup and like the third center like I'm still not sure and I think Alex Len whether you can move Alex Len or not that will play into that and and all that stuff so uh, of course this section is brought to you by Ricardo Brito Reyes the uh the pissed Portuguese uh guy we might be a level beyond pissed at this point yeah <laughs> shout out to our guy uh, yeah I, I mean look uh, we're with you it doesn't make any sense I mean and and I like Alvin Gentry and a lot of things that he's done this year um, but uh, that's one of those things where like I've heard rumor that the front office has more say in who's playing and who's not than uh, than Alvin Gentry might and uh, that comes to be one of those points where you're like, okay, what exactly is happening here? Um, I, I wouldn't even understand the motivation. Like, what yeah. is my motivation? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, okay, so, and on that note, let, let's transition to Alvin Gentry. Um, Alvin Gentry, uh, in my opinion, and from most of the information I have surrounding the team, is likely playing his last is coaching his last two games with Sacramento Kings. Um, that he uh, likely will not return next season. And I know that's like a lot of people are just like, yeah, no, no S Sherlock. Um, but the hat and everything, 
Yeah, the hat. Well, I'm in my Lola look still. Come on, <laughs> come on. I'm having a good time. Um, what are your thoughts on on the job that uh, that Alvin Gentry's done from the moment he took over this team? I, and you can even back it up to last year as the offensive coordinator, and and you know, sort of what we've seen here for the last year and a half, two years, because a lot of the stamp that this team has on it is Alvin Gentry's stamp. Yeah, which, I mean, has the results of this team been all too impressive to anyone these last couple of years? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of just feel like Alvin was the placeholder when Luke was moved on from. I think that I haven't been all too impressed with what he's done with the roster since then. I also don't think that he had a lot to work with, to be fair. I've loved covering Alvin, at very least. He's an amazingly fun person that's messing with us in the media all the time and, and joking he's around ridiculously. Cool. Yes, he's a cool he's dude. very fun. Yeah. And it's easy to forget he's been in the league for 35 years. I want to yeah. say this is 34, 35. Um, and tell me if this logic is wrong, James. You would know better than me. To me, when I hear 34, 35 years, if you were gonna be a head coach in the NBA you'd kind of be locked into that role by now no well I mean he's been a head coach like seven times he has but it always ends up not working no no I mean I get what you're saying I get uh, but you know I like the NBA like the NFL is like it's the grass is always greener and very very few times do we see something like you know Jerry Sloan, who coaches for decades, or or Greg Popovich, or um, I'll, I'll put Eric Spolstra in that. At this point, Eric Spolstra is going to continue to coach in Miami until he no longer wants to coach. Um, yeah. You know, I thought we we kind of thought Rick Carlisle would do that in Dallas, and then that thing became like the biggest s show of all times. Like, just what in the world is happening behind the scenes with like accusations of weird stuff and. Like right. that whole mess, like get I, Rick Carlisle knew that stuff was coming clearly and got the hell out of there. Um, but uh, for for Alvin, for me, it almost feels like he's a guy that I, I feel like there's two types of coaches and this is probably overgeneralizing, but there's guys that are good at kind of managing egos and mm -hmm. using stars. And I feel like Alvin falls into that of putting stars in positions where they're going to be most comfortable relating to them. Um, and then the other side, and I think of like a Doc Rivers falls into that. Um, I don't know why I can't get another example off the top of my head. But then there's other coaches that are better at maybe optimizing guys that don't have star-level talent. Um, they're making the role players – the best version of themselves and hiding their weaknesses. And they make teams overperform, like a Brad Stevens, for example, um, where you saw him do really well with guys like Isaiah Thomas, but then you get a Kyrie Irving, for example, and it just maybe doesn't go quite as well. And I, I kind of feel like between the two, and again, overgeneralizing probably, that Alvin is more of the former. Of If Alvin had stars on his team, that he could be really good at managing those egos and putting them in a free-flowing system where they're just allowed to be themselves. Um, I don't know that you want the guys on the Kings team to just kind of be themselves 
I think you need to kind of push them into, we need you to be this person and maybe calm down a little bit in this area. And I just don't know that you can point to, like, Alvin has optimized anybody necessarily. Okay, that's an interesting point of view. Like, I I get that. Like, because I would have thought of, like, the coaching discussion in a different way. I I would have said that Alvin Gentry is a classic – a classic retread in the NBA. Um, and, and I hate like, I, that's not meant as a disrespect uh, because like we see these coaches that, you know, they keep getting jobs. Frank Vogel keeps getting jobs and now he's got a championship and he'll get another job this summer, but you know, it Where, didn't work. James? Well, we'll see. <laughs> it didn't work out in Indiana. It didn't work out in Orlando. It's not working out in LA. Will he get another shot? Dave Yeager. Didn't work out in Memphis. Didn't work out in Sacramento. Will he get another shot or not? And I bring up Dave because this is where I think Alvin, the brilliance of Alvin. Alvin is so well-respected around the league. And even though he is a classic, you know, retread type coach uh, that, that bounces around and lasts for three or four years in a spot and then moves on and becomes an assistant somewhere and then gets another job, it's because he's such a good dude and because he's so well-respected. And so the fact that he's been able to to basically be a classic retread coach for 30-plus years speaks to who he is. It speaks to, you know, that he's a good guy. He may not be the guy that can get you there, um, but, you know, he also probably hasn't taken over the biggest winners of all time. You know, if you put him on a, on a really, really good team, what's going to happen? We, we don't really know that. Because, you know, most of the teams he's taken over, he's taken over as interim coaches. And when you take over an interim coach, that means that your team was so crappy that you fired your head coach in the middle of the season. Um, so let's not be that that harsh on the guy that literally has taken over that situation multiple times. Or, you know, he goes to New Orleans and doesn't he have to go through the Anthony Davis situation where they melt down and, and AD, like, demands trades and stuff like that. And, That's like, all, folks. Yeah, that's all, folks. Uh, yeah, we, that was a good one last night by AD. <laughs> so, like, I've enjoyed covering Alvin as much as I have almost any coach. Uh, my favorites are Paul Westfall, who was my first head coach, and Michael Malone, who was a wild card and said whatever came to his mind. Um, and then I, I, I did enjoy Dave Yeager. Uh, I, I'm not, like, I'm one of the few that really, truly enjoyed Dave Yeager. Like, they're plenty of people that did not enjoy Dave Yeager as far as the media and people around the team. Um, But I did like, I got along well with him, but I get along well with everybody. The only one that I didn't like at all is George Carl, who, you know, that's for a whole nother reason. Um, And we got like, like we didn't get George Carl. We got a version of George Carl. Um, Yeah. That was, that was different, but you know, like, like a happy hour story waiting right there. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we could probably do that on the happy hour. Yeah, like why I like I could care less about George Carl. Uh, and George Carl was at the Final Four, you know, because he got inducted in the Hall of Fame. And, and shout out to George Carl for getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. George Carl fully deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the, um, the way he treated people probably cost him five years of waiting. Uh, but at the same time... Um, like he is an all-time great coach. What his, you know, he did have revolutionary ideas that that changed the game in certain ways and stuff like that. So, um, I, I do think George Carl is an, an exceptional coach. We just didn't get that George Carl in Sacramento, 
and and there was no like I think the biggest problem was he wasn't willing to admit that he was no longer that George Carl. And so that made it really, really difficult. Um, and that was just a huge mistake. That was, you know, Pete D'Alessandro spent a lot of money, wasted a lot of money trying to save his job. And not only did he lose his job, but he stuck the Kings with, uh, with a coach that, you know, wasn't, wasn't ready to do this. And certainly wasn't ready to deal with a personality like, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, so anyway, the, Brendan, that brings us to, like, we were talking a little bit last night. There's going to, I think someone said, oh, there's not going to be that much coaching turnover, but I think there is. And, you know, I think the Kings are high on that list. But I think we also can understand that the Lakers, who flamed out in the most epic way possible, um, are going to be looking for a new head coach. Uh, there's rumor that Quinn Snyder won't be back with Utah. There's rumors that Tom Thibodeau won't be back in New York, but then there's also counter rumors. I don't believe counter rumors there. I don't think he'll be back in New York. Um, there's rumors that Doc Rivers, if he doesn't win, could be on the hot seat in Philadelphia. There's um, even like the coaching, I mean, the ownership change in Minnesota could open the door for someone to make a huge mistake and replace a guy like Chris Finch, who's done uh, really good work. Um, but I, I think they're, Number one, I'll point out two things. Uh, the Kings' job is the worst out of all of those, bar none. I mean, you could say the Lakers' job is worse, but the Lakers' job no, you still not. have. You still have AD. You still have LeBron James. You still have like, like the Hall Los of Famers Angeles, everywhere. You're, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still fame and fortune and everything else, and you're going to get paid. And whether that lasts three years or last five years or last a year and a half, um, you're still going to get a whole lot of money to go there. Um, but that kind of leads us like. Who do you want? Who who would you circle? Who uh, stands out to you in the coaching ranks, uh, even if it's one of these guys that could become available? Yeah, I mean, if Quinn Snyder's an option, I'm jumping on that very, very quickly. I think that's an obvious one. After that, um, I weirdly don't hate Frank Vogel. Um not in the way that I feel like some of the fan base does. A lot of the fan base is like, oh, I don't want Lakers leftovers again. And, like, Indiana went okay for Frank Vogel when it was PG, Roy Hibbert, uh, Danny Granger. They did fine. I'm pretty sure Eastern Conference Finals, um, they just won a championship, not last year, but the year prior with the Lakers, which I know it's the bubble and outlier circumstances, but they did just win a championship. And this season, he's working with a lot of personalities where it's hard to tell, it seems like, at least from the outside, of how much is him, um, like how good of a defense, because my understanding is that he's a defensive-oriented coach, how good of a defense could he have built when you're working with Malik Monk and older Avery Bradley and, and just guys that are Russell not Westbrook. yeah you don't have the perimeter defenders of Contavious Caldwell Pope and Alex Caruso that you had in years prior that helped you with ball containment you don't have Anthony Davis anymore like I don't hate Frank Vogel I don't think I'm going to be advocating for it but I don't hate it in the same way that it seems like a lot of the fan base does um, I'm definitely a Quinn Snyder like I said and then after for me it's probably a Kenny Atkinson who I was pretty impressed with the pro with uh, what he did in Brooklyn and kind of building that team in what feels like a kind of similar situation to what we see in Sacramento right now of building a culture there. And I think it's one of those optimizing maybe a, 
subpar talented roster and making the role players just fit and complement, for example, like Fox and Sabonis the best that you possibly could, like they did with D'Lo and Karis LeVert. Um, so I'm really interested in Kenny Atkinson. He's in Golden State's uh, staff right now, which I think is also interesting because we've definitely heard that Sacramento is modeling Golden State many times throughout the past years. So who knows if that matters at all. Um, Kenny and then I like Terry Stotts. I think that Terry Stotts was kind of scapegoated in Portland of it was just like a something has to change. So we're going to move on from the coach. And I don't know that I think Terry Stotts is phenomenal, but I, I do think that he's at very least middle of the pack coach. And I think there's an argument that those teams overperformed based on the talent levels that they were working with. Okay. Um, looking at Frank Vogel, uh, Frank Vogel has a, uh, a career win percentage of 525. I'm surprised. In his sixth season in, in Indiana, he had a 580 win percentage. And he also went 31 and 30 in, uh, in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, basically a 500 playoff coach. Uh, he's 18 and nine in his, uh, two seasons, three seasons with the Lakers in in the playoffs. But of course they won't make the playoffs this season. He does have a championship. Um, he's intriguing. And, and one of the reasons why he's so intriguing is because he's still only 48 years old. And so you're looking at a guy who has, you know, 15 years, but we're also looking at a, at a coach who, who's gone through three teams already. And so he's, you know, again, he's on that path to being a retread. And you, you wonder if he can have one of those moments where um, maybe like Rick Adelman did, where Rick Adelman, you know, people forget that he was a Warriors coach for a couple of years before he became the Kings coach and was totally unsuccessful after his run in Portland. Um, but then he went on to have successful stints in Minnesota. He went on to have successful stints in Houston. Um you know, so I think what you're hoping is that if you if you brought in a guy like that, that that he would be a guy who brought in experience and and could capture the imagination of your players and stuff like that. I I would worry about the Lakers, you know, reject thing again. I also worry about you know just hiring Golden State Warriors guys because they worked for the Warriors. Um, but there's also you know, again, of, of all the coaches, like Quinn Snyder, if he does become available, and I don't know why there are murmurs of that, but I think there are. If he does become available, uh, Quinn Snyder is like a leader of men. Like, people fall in line behind Quinn Snyder. They love to play for, for Quinn Snyder. They fight for Quinn Snyder. That's what this team needs. It needs someone that people fight for, and, and I'm hoping that they they find that. Like, we talk about players needing to you know the kings need to find like leaders they need to find gritty players they need to find physical players that don't mind mixing it up well they kind of need a coach that they'll fight for and i think uh when it, like michael malone is that guy and uh and they blew it and you know vivek blew it the team blew it pete d'alessandro blew it uh but you need to find another guy like that not uh uh, you, you can't miss. This is the one where you got to hit, and and I don't know who that is. And you know, I think Doug is going to get a look. I, I, but again, they need to put a whole lot of money into this coaching staff. Can I ask you about Doug for a sec? Because I think when you say the leader of men thing, I think that Doug to me sounds like somebody that people would 
that would come to mind for people when they hear that. Like, Doug seems like a guy that you would want to go to war for, right? He's rallying the troops. He's got great energy to him all the time. Yep. Where are you at if if Doug were to be strongly considered, which we just saw him considered when Luke Walton was let go, you know, released if Vivek really wanted Doug, it wouldn't be surprising to me if we heard that name come up again. Where are you at with that situation? Okay, so Doug and I have been friends for a long time, and I love Doug. Uh, whether or not he's ready to coach or not, I think it's still to be de- to be decided. My point would be this. If you do bring in Doug Christie and you do give Doug the job, then like, how do I put this gracefully and, and gently? You need a phenomenal staff, and the Kings do not have a phenomenal staff. You need a veteran, like, right-handed, like an Alvin Gentry working alongside him. You need one of the top offensive minds in the league. You got to go out and pay that guy. You got to go out and pay the defensive coordinator. Not bottom basement. And so this is going to be tough. This It requires that Doug, um, number one, hires the right agent to work with him in this situation. And then you has that agent. The reason why you want a good agent if you're a coach, just so people know, this is kind of like a weird nuance. There's only a handful of coaching agents in the NBA. Uh, there are some outliers of, you know, former players who still have their agent that still work with someone. But for the most part, there are only a couple of player uh, coaching agents. And those coaching agents... If you become a head coach and they're one of your guys, they also have all of the assistants. They have a ton of assistants and they can start filling out your staff. They can help you build a staff that makes sense. And so that would be my biggest thing. Like if it's Doug, then let let him hire his own staff. But just a warning, don't hire Mike Bibby and Bobby Jackson and Jason Williams and think you're going to go out there and like get the band back together and be successful. You're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to get fired. You're going to sully the name of everyone that you, that you bring in and it's going to be bad. That's what you can't do. So that's where I'm like, you got to do this right. You know, if you are going to give a guy like Doug the job and, and again, Doug is, he's a person that connects with everyone he meets. That's what I think Brennan tries to point out, but like, he does make connections, and the players do like him. But if you're going to have him as your coach, you better have a top-five staff in the league. And, and, you know, you should always have a top-five staff in the league either way, but that's not Kings basketball. That's that's one of those things where they skimp. And, you know, I, I think um, I, I talked about this on the radio the other day. Uh, Will, uh, is it Will Z? Um, Will Z. Yeah, Wilsey has been doing stats and stuff, which is awesome. Um, you know, he, he's gotten into the stats game on Twitter, and, and good for you. You got yourself a, a hobby that's fun, and you're throwing some stuff out there that's, like, like sort of conversational. Um, and his uh, his stats were, you know, Harrison Barnes during his time has played for, what, four head coaches um, just in the four years. He played for, is it four or is it three? Three head coaches. Um, he's played with, was it, I want to say 78 players, something like that. Yeah, I'm finding it. Where is that stat? Um, but the, the key stat while you look for it, the key stat it to me 
Like, coaches come and go. But during Harrison Barnes' time in Sacramento, he's had 24 different assistant coaches. 48 players, three head coaches, 24 assistant coaches, and two GMs. Yeah, Will Z stats on Twitter, at Will underscore Zimmerly. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the the key stat there, dude, it's it's not just that you're switching out coaches. It's that Luke Walton kept f- like going through coach after coach after coach after coach. It like it wasn't working. Like Igor Kokoskov was his offensive coordinator, and then gone. Uh, Alvin Gentry, uh, you know Rex Kalamian, um, you know how many different uh, defensive coaches have they had? They they've had in in the last three years have had three different defensive coordinators, which means they've had four in the last four years. If you go back to Dave Yeager's here, like that's not how you win. You win by building a staff that wants to be together and stays together and, and fights for each other and works with each other. And, and the one good thing about Doug, I'll tell you is that Doug will tell you there's a lot of things that he doesn't know and he knows he doesn't know them. And to me, that's the biggest thing. As long as Doug continues to know that he doesn't know and he brings in people to support the things that he's not good at while he's learning, that's that's good. you know. And that's where I would say that ownership of this team still does not know what they don't know. They still think that they know everything. And that's why this team is flat-out horrible. That's why this franchise is rated number 30 by ESPN – it's why this franchise has lost, has missed the playoffs 16 consecutive seasons. It's because you had one ownership group that was broke ass and got run out of town. And you got another guy who thinks that he can fix things when he can't. And the meddling gets in the way. And, you know, like it's not all on Vivek. Uh, it's on a couple of, uh, you know, the assistant, I mean, it's, it's on a couple of the people around him. It's on some of the other owners who haven't stepped up and said, Hey, enough is enough. Like there's a lot of layers to this thing, but at the same time, this is a moment and we keep having these moments, but where this is a moment where what you can't do is hire a coach, hire a GM, fire the GM, have the new GM come in with two years, three years left on a coach. How many times do we have to do the same stupid thing? It's the same exact thing. Like if you don't get it that you're you're doing just the same thing again and again and again, I don't know what to tell you. Like the definition of insanity. Yeah, it's a definition of insanity, but it's also you know what it's a definition of incompetence. Yeah, <laughs> losing. It's a definition of someone who still doesn't get it. Get out of the way. Let your basketball people make decisions. Get out of the way that's it if you can't get out of the way you're going to string this thing out to 20 years you will not have De'Aaron Fox you will not have Sabonis to build around you're going to screw it up like like step aside it's time and that's it's hard for people I get it but work on the business side work on the 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 other side make as much money as possible you know on the other side and Put your focus away from basketball and let the basketball people do the basketball decisions. Yeah, and hopefully they make the right decisions themselves. Uh, the All the management on the basketball sides, basketball yeah. operations and all that. Um, but, you know, hire the people that you think are going to do that and then let them 
fully build out their vision. And I think that, you know, there's an interesting conversation of consistency and the idea of, oh, Harrison Barnes, for example, been through however many coaches of, so why would we go get another one? And it's like, well, because you still have to get it right. You don't just keep around the wrong guy. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, and, swinging, and, and even though you miss. Even again, I, I really like Alvin Gentry. I do. But, like, I think he's a good guy. I just think that, again, at some point you have to you have to go with someone that's the right age, the right – like, I, I, I don't want to make it sound that way. Like, you need to, like, go gamble with someone that's going to be here long term, that's going to fit in and, and have an identity, build an identity with the team and carry this thing forward. And I just don't know that the – that the Kings will do that because they tend to just get in their own way. Like what I don't want to hear is the murmurs around that. Well, this was Vivek's guy and it's like, man, well, then it's not mining's guy. So why are you even there? And if Vivek got Vivek's guy still sticks around while Monty's guy is hired. It's, it's a, a little other dynamic. Yeah. 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 But I also, you know, um, like I think at the end of the day, Doug Doug does know that like this isn't easy. He he's learned some lessons here about this season, about what coaching is like, and you know, like, and he wanted to coach so bad for so long. I know that that this is one of those moments where you know reality meets you know ex- your expectations and reality kind of meet each other, and you're like, okay, this is this is different than I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. They absolutely have to get it right this time around. They do. They do. So, I mean, because there's so much riding on it. Um, Okay, I was going to do, like, a top Kings priority thing, but uh, I think we're going to skip that because we've run long on the other stuff, and we'll get to the business of basketball. The business of basketball. The business of basketball. (laughs) Okay, so, Brennan... um, uh, how many games did you get to go to this year? How many home games? Of the 41, probably 30. That many? 25, 20. Somewhere in there. I have every single one of my... I know, I keep going down. <laughs> it's at least half of them. Um, I yeah, keep you, my oh. name tag every time, and I have a whole lot of them built up at this point. I want to say it's probably like 25. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, because I know you've caught the last eight right the final yeah eight I, I was there for luke also so yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. yeah no so uh you've had the the full experience and this was my this is my 12th season covering the team uh full-time like every day uh, my, my i my first I, home game was the third one of the year oh that's good yeah okay yeah so you have had quite a few opportunities so like 20 between 25 and 30 that that's that's good. It's a good sample size. Um, it, it's kind of like you're you're a rookie who played like sixty games, but there are those other twenty games that you didn't play. So, yeah, at least I'm not Namishkeda. So, yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you did get more time than him. That's for sure. Um, yeah, at twelve years, and I'll say like Sunday, I miss a game. I miss a Warriors Kings game. That's the first game I missed uh, in a decade. Um, the first home game. So. Uh, and I, I did watch it. I watched it on my phone and I watched the, the Houston Rockets game on my phone as well. And I didn't put out six thoughts, but I did have some thoughts on the, the Rockets game. 
Um, but uh, like it's a marathon, right? I, so that's kind of my question. Like, you know, what did you learn? What was your biggest takeaway from this experience? Because I, I like to, I, I was having a good time watching you throughout the whole season and seeing the ebbs and flows and all that stuff. But yeah, what what were your takeaways? There were a lot of moments where I probably said the wording, yeah, I feel like I'm in a good rhythm now. And then fell out of that pretty quickly and then felt like I got in another rhythm. And it's also because I still have my whole day job going on and everything that is very um, spontaneous, I guess. And I don't know what that looks like day to day. So I think that that caused me to kind of making a schedule is kind of difficult and knowing what each day is going to look like. But I mean, I think a lot of it, especially at the beginning, is kind of just feeling comfortable and like confident of, for example, like the Tyrese thing of when Tyrese is giving me a hard time, not just like nodding my head, but instead like talking back a little bit and messing around or when we're at a practice and he's walking away saying something or like most recently, like HB's walking away after the Golden State game and say, hey, are you giving Josh Jackson a hard time about the game tomorrow because it's UNC Kansas? Um, Like, little things like that, I think, make a difference. Um, And Sam Amick's wording, and you've echoed this, and everybody has, of telling me pretty early in the year that 90% of it is just showing up every day. Kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I was like, 90%? I don't know. It's because there is stuff all the time. Like every day there is, yeah, the, between all the practices, um, shoot arounds that you and I are always going to. And yeah, I mean, game days are so much longer than I expected. I, I think pumping out the same amount of content while still having all this access was this weird balance for me because to me, I'm like, I know so much more. I have so much access and all these quotes, like my content should just be even better, which I feel like it is. But the amount, the quantity definitely went down because all of a sudden, instead of spending two and a half hours watching the game, I'm leaving my apartment at four and getting home at 11, um, if even. So I, I think that it's just an adjustment of understanding what the schedule even looked like and understanding, especially at the beginning of like, there's a reason they let me in the door that like having to remind myself, I know what I'm talking about. So talk about it you know what I mean and 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 of course like you specifically and Sam and everybody that I run into even the photographers and video team like just asking a lot of questions yeah so uh it's been a blast because uh Brennan has a curious mind and he asks a lot of questions and, and that's good and um you know like it's it's good to have more voices in the room i've always been of the opinion that the more voices the better i don't want like 25 people in there that are asking stupid questions but when you do have multiple voices that you know do ask good questions that add to the conversation you know um every game we have uh christos saltos uh who's in greece who's literally up in the middle of the night in greece who's on our calls like about like 75 percent of the time um Hello, Sometimes James. I hope hope you're doing well. Yeah, hello, coach. Um, so if you if that's Christos, so if you guys hear that on some of the videos and stuff, he always starts hello, Darren. Um, but like having those those people in the room, it's good because 
Christos always, he does ask good questions. Uh, sometimes he's got to repeat them because, you know, there's a language barrier and some of the players don't understand. They're like looking around like, what did he just say? And like, you know, after, you know, two seasons with Christos being there quite a bit, we have like a, a Christos just decoder ring. Like we understand what he's saying. Um, but uh, like all of these voices in the room are a good thing. And I think the, when you're doing this, like I always tell people like during the season, it's a 60 to 80 hour a week job like during the season and people don't get that they're like what do you mean like you're not there you're only there for the game and like no no like it's shoot around like we got to be there at 10 45 so i leave my house at 9 30 and i don't get home until uh, this year it was more like midnight but in past years it's more like one o'clock in the morning because i had always have to write another sidebar that none of you read after the game that was just part of the job yeah just keep writing just keep writing um, but this year it's definitely different and, uh, it's good because we've got a lot of young, fresh reporters coming in. Um, it's really down to just me and, and Jason Anderson and Sean who have been around for any length of time that are there every single night. Um, and then Tony Harvey, who's been around for a long time. Um, uh, but it's like the core group is so incredibly small and, you know, you have television stations who pop up and who are like all in on sports and then two years later they don't have sports at all and then all of a sudden they got a three-man team for two years and then it's down to one person like there are like these ebbs and flows and then you have some local television guys that literally don't show up at all like that didn't show up and retired or that don't show up and like you're wondering what they're doing because there's only one professional team in Sacramento and so those are kind of the weird things that that happen during the season but I like as many voices as possible I'm really excited for to see what Brennan does like throughout his career because it's it's exciting to see a young guy with like a, a bunch of ideas and a bunch of like your thought process is good, your questions are good and so like I, I'm all on board to like foster that because I, I think it's it's something that, you know, we need more of in, in the room. So I'm glad that your your first season you you had some like understanding of just the grind, right? Absolutely the grind. And you made it a lot easier, um, for sure. I, I think that having a sense of like comfort that I can just bounce questions off of. Like you weren't there for the one game and I think I had a couple questions and like didn't exactly know who to bounce it off of. Like I did just fine. But I there was a couple times where I'm like, I wish I could ask James this right now. Um Could have just called some I was No, probably... I didn't want to bother. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so, and I, I heard that uh, you guys may have had a uh, Samuel L. L. Jackson line read to you. <laughs> we did. We did. I, I got um, some Pulp Fiction quotes sent my way. So Yeah. 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 It's definitely funny. I, I definitely uh, feel like the baby of the group, which is funny. Um, one thing I didn't expect was how close and how much time you just spend around the other media members. Like, for example, yeah. I mean, we know pre-game, uh, pre-game, post-game, but, like, you're sitting in that room or maybe we go courtside and, and do whatever pre-game, but we're all sitting at a table eating dinner together on game days. And even more so for me, the more fun ones sometimes are practices when we're sitting waiting and we don't know how long we're going to be waiting until they give us guys and we're all just sitting in a room where there's nobody else and just kind of all talking crap and Obviously, we're all like very different people, but we have a similar interest that we can all fall back on in conversation. Um, so I think I didn't 
fully understand how much like genuine friendships within that group and just you spend so much time with them. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is it's totally missed. Like a lot of us are very close. A lot of us have been through like crazy life changes together. Like we're all part of like a small family and like you see reporters like, you know, go through divorces or loss or like just like everybody else. They're, they're your your work family. Like everyone has a work family for the most part. If you work, you have a work family. Um, and our work family is very different. Uh, like last night, uh, so we have this saying where the group behind us always gets ice cream, but they don't tell us when they're getting ice cream. So they they always get like soft serve and then they don't tell us. And I don't know where this ice cream comes from, by the way, James. It looks so good. Well, it's it's funny like the story is really weird so there is an ice cream spot like a soft serve ice cream spot in the arena which we didn't know about but the group behind us always has it and then you look up and they're like finishing their ice cream we're like well what's up man how come you didn't offer us so the first time i said hey i'm in i want ice cream this time james is throwing five dollar bills around looking for ice cream the ice cream machine broke (laughs) so i didn't get my ice cream so then like for two weeks it was like, no ice cream tonight? No, nope, ice cream machine still broke. They brought the old ice cream machine over from Arco and put it in Golden One, and we had ice cream. So I, But I hadn't had it yet. So they sent me pics uh, on Twitter on Sunday that of their ice creams. Uh, Mike Wagman and you know the media relations staff, they were messing with me. So we had ice cream last night for the first time, and uh, this is just to tell you how close we are. But Sean, uh, someone went and got a we. I had a spoon, but I said, "Hey, can we get another spoon?" They came back with a fork. So Sean had one side of the ice cream, and I had the other side of the ice cream. He was using a fork, and we shared the uh, the chocolate vanilla swirl. So um, cute. We've yeah. never sh- shared ice cream. James. We have not shared ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I hope you guys have enjoyed Like, we're getting to the end of the season, and I hope that you've enjoyed the game coverage because the thing, it really does, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going every Tuesday and Thursday. You'll get a podcast. We might expand. We might do some different things. Uh, we're, we are going to do a lot more guests during the off season. It's just really hard to not only get two people on the same page, but to add a third and to have times and all that stuff. It's very difficult. Um, so... We're going to do a bunch of stuff all the way through the offseason, but we're going to keep going. But the conversation, the the immediacy of why we're doing it that day changes because we no longer have a game to discuss or a game, a set of games to discuss and or a player's development to discuss. Uh, but we're going to keep going. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff for you all throughout the summer. Um, you know, I'm sure we're going to have some uh, emergency podcasts next week as we discuss, like where the Kings are going with their coaching search. If there is in fact a coaching search, which just so you know, we're expecting. Um, and, and so it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride for like another week and a half, two weeks. Uh, we'll do season recaps and we'll dive heavy into the draft coverage, uh, even heavier than we already have. And we're really going to like feed you so much crazy content that it, it'll be spectacular. So jump on board with the Kings beat. Um, give us a rating and review down below give us a thumbs up subscribe subscribe everywhere uh do all that stuff uh brendan do you have any final thoughts hmm Hmm. i don't because i felt like i did earlier and i totally lost it you know final thought yeah no thoughts going on in my head right now okay 
I think my final thought is this. Um, like, I, even, like, this is the first season I've had, like, health issues. I, I always have back issues. So, like, I don't, I almost don't consider those. But having, like, weird health issues is here, which was strange. And, uh, you know, like, take advantage of opportunities. So go put your name in for the NCAA lottery so you can potentially get tickets to go to one of these cities and, and go experience it. Go to the California Classic. Go go experience some of these things because, like, look, life is short and uh, experiences mean a lot more than, you know, when just about anything. So uh, that would be my my thought for, for everyone out there. And, and I'm glad that Brennan is getting this experience because your first season was an experience. And now you got to build on it. It becomes more of a job, more of a grind. But that first that first season, it's nothing but experiences, new experiences. Lots of new experiences, definitely. And a lot of uh, working through nerves sometimes. And I feel like you do a decent job of not showing that I'm nervous, but internally kind of sweating a little bit and just kind of checking a couple boxes of, okay, I did it one time and now I don't have to freak out about it. There we go. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Beat Podcast. Uh, we will be back on Friday this week. We already discussed that. It's going to be a weird schedule. Um, but uh, it, it's good seeing everybody. It's good to be back in Sacramento after a wild weekend in New Orleans. Um, so uh, make sure to subscribe. Jump on board with the King's Beat. Um, you can find all the descriptions down below. Jump on board and get the some of the King's Beat merch. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff in stock. Oh, Brandon, Flash and the King's. We also have that in t-shirt form now. Um, so jump on board with the King's Beat. Uh, so for Brandon Nunes from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse podcast, I am James Ham. It's good seeing you. We'll see you on Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.